Man, it's so good to see everyone's faces. I feel like I say that every week, but I feel it every week, so I just keep saying it, I suppose. Um, yeah, like Rick said, we're kicking off uh, a series in the book of Colossians uh, this week. And so um, if you go ahead and turn there, that would be, uh, that would be awesome. And uh, something to remember is that Colossians is a, it's a letter. And so that's part of the design that we're thinking about is uh, that sometimes we forget, sometimes we treat books of the Bible like they're a, a systematic theology or, a, 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 I don't know, like a biblical dictionary or something like that. These really academic, highbrow books when the reality is there's a letter from somebody to somebody else. Um, and I do want to mention, we're in this series, we're, we're going to be spending a lot of time going really slowly through the text. And so uh, I... Rick and I kind of agreed to just be preaching out of the same translation of the Bible, just so that as we're going like really, 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 really slowly, you guys will be very annoyed with me, I'm sure. But as we're going slowly through the text, that you'll be able to follow along kind of word for word. We're both going to be preaching out of the ESV, not because it's the best translation, but just because I feel like it works best for us in this time with this particular book. So if you want to follow along, that's the translation um, we'll be using. So um, let me pray for us and then read the text for today. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for guiding us to this time and to this place and to this people. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for this, this letter that we get to spend however many months in, diving in and seeing your word. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Okay, this is Colossians Chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So, Rick, why are we, why are we teaching Colossians? Why are we teaching Colossians? I'm glad you asked. I have an answer to that question. <laughs> So Colossians is our namesake, right? We are Colossae Church. We're actually the Sherwood Congregation of Colossae Church, which is made up of five congregations. And why that name? Why are we here? Well, obviously, that's a good book to teach on if you are a Colossae Church. And Tigard Colossae has done it a couple of times in their history. But I don't know about you, but I wasn't here for that. So probably a lot of us weren't here for that. So we believe that it's our time to go through the book to make the connections between Colossae the original, the city, and the church that Paul helped to start, and uh, ourselves and who we are, part of our identity. So why Colossians? One of the things that excites me about being in this book is I believe that the, God has led us to be in this book right now. Um, we had some ideas, Daniel had some great ideas about where we could go, and we prayed about it together, and we listened to the Spirit, and it became really clear after a week or two of conversation and consideration that the Spirit was actually leading us to this book. So it's both a choice that we've made humanly, but we believe it's from the Spirit. And to even reinforce that, this last week I went back through the last three years of our teaching and just thumbed through the podcast. You could do this as well if you go onto our website. And all the podcasts are there from the very beginning. And I just looked through the titles and where we had been and listened to a couple of them. And it was fascinating. And you know this is how God works. We kind of live in the day-to-day -day believing we're following the Spirit, but when you are able to go back and look at 
what you've been doing over the past little while, and this is three and three and a half years of teaching, yeah. I was able to see just the beauty of what the Spirit had led Colossae Sherwood through. And I'll just recap that for you super briefly. So in 2017, before uh, I was a part of the church, many of you were not here either, uh, Colossae at large and Colossae Sherwood was already going through the book of Colossians, or going through the book of Luke. And the goal there was to answer the question really well, who is Jesus? So 2017, we went through the book of Luke. 2018, we started in on this Acts series that we just wrapped up. Part one was chapters one through eight. And we began to look at who is the church and really kind of, I would say, in, in a way, answer the question, who is the Holy Spirit? It says that the, Jesus, the work of Jesus continued through the apostles, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So the book of Acts is, is a place to really understand the expression of God in the Holy Spirit. And so we went through that. We took a break, and in 2019, through Isaiah 43, we talked about the people of Yahweh, the people of God, the people of Father God. And again, I think in that uh, series, part of what we did was answer the question, or at least give some answers to the question, who is Yahweh, who is God the Father? Yeah. And, so really, And who are we? identity collectively as God's people. Right, because our identity flows from who our God is, exactly. who he says we are. Yep. So we really, I, I would say if you look back, you could see there was a, three years of learning who is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And out of that, who are we? We jump back into Acts chap, uh, chapters 9 through 28 again to discover uh, who the Holy Spirit is and what the church is and then who are we. And so now we're in uh, Colossians at the end of 2020 flowing through 2021 answering the question really in depth in light of who God is as Jesus, the expressed human of God, as God the Father, Yahweh, uh, the Father God, and then as the Holy Spirit, then what does that mean? Who are we and how do we live out of the identity we've been given by who God is? And that's exactly what we're going to do here in this letter. Uh, again, as Daniel said, Colossians is a letter. So we've been in narrative literature and prophetic literature up to this point yeah. with some forays into some others. But particularly we are in a letter, which is very different. Again, it's not so much uh, a reference book, like Daniel said, but it's more a very personal book. And here's why Colossians. Uh, number one, it is, uh, it's an expression of Paul of how to live out the truths of who God is, what he said, and what he's done in real life. Mm. So though Paul starts the letter in theology, he very quickly moves to implications. Yeah. These are the implications based on who God is and who we are. This is what that means for life. And hey, Colossae, for you in particular, where you are, what you're up against, the culture that you live in, this is what it looks like to live out the gospel where you are. Mm. We identify with Colossae, not just as a name, but Colossae was a city Paul never went to. It was not one of the primary metropolitan areas that he chose to use as strategic places to share the gospel. So he went to Ephesus, absolutely. He went to Corinth, these large cities. But in a way, in a cultural way, Colossae was really kind of a suburb or mm. a subculture next to larger cultures, but not in them, just as we and all the places you and I live are in the suburbs of Portland, Colossae is in a sense, in a very historical ancient sense, a suburb or a smaller cultural area where real life is happening. Uh, finally, we identify uh, very specifically 
And what we want to do as we go through this is to help you understand, not just quickly cover the verses, but we're going deep and going in depth to explain how this original audience would have understood the words they were told. We're going to get into the hermeneutics of what was Paul saying specifically to a real group of people first. Mm. What were the deep things he was trying to say and what were the contexts that caused him to say what he said. We want to look at that together. That's why we're going slow. And then we want to help translate those purposes and those goals to us, who we are now and where we live. What are the specifics that we should understand about the gospel and its implications for our lives? So that's why we're here. Again, uh, I'll take a quick look at Colossians 1. I want to read for you verses 9 through 13. This is where Paul really reveals his heart, his passion, and his motive, and his goal in writing the letter. And so we would say, as leaders of Colossae Tigard, we want to share in this prayer for you, as Paul expressed this prayer for the people of Colossae. By the way, you know that he never visited Colossae. He wasn't able to get to the town. And Paul was not able to get to Sherwood, so he's been to neither place. Yeah. So we share that in common But as we well. both got the same letter. That's right. That's <laughs> right. And its implications are for us both. So let me read for you this prayer. And by the way, we will be reading this prayer and praying it over you at the end of every gathering where we study Colossians uh, to invoke it as a blessing and to continue to desire it for us. And also, hopefully, so that we all can memorize it, so that it can really become a part of our own thing. You guys are going to be so sick of it in like two weeks, but in six months, you'll have it memorized. So you're welcome, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, thanks, Daniel. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. But today, it's fresh and new, and I get to read it for the first time. So here we go. <clears throat> Paul writes to a very real set of people in very real time what he is praying for, for the church that he loves, though he's never met them. And he says, from the day we... And we, we, that's Paul and Timothy, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. Amen. Amen. What, I, what I love about that is that we're seeing Paul's heart for us for well actually we can say it's for the Colossian church but hey we're Colossian too so that's great what Paul's heart is for us for maturity for growth he's saying okay you love Jesus you you follow you follow the Bible you follow the teachings of the apostles and the, and the prophets okay great now here's the next step and that's kind of where we get to be now after spending all this time in Luke and Acts which is kind of one volume now we're taking the next step we see Jesus then we see Paul and and the spreading of the mission and now this is kind of the next step the part that we're all a part of now we're here and we're getting a letter from Paul and and so I love that we're gonna Think about this. This is this is the hope. If you want to know what the hope for this entire Colossian series is, just reread that paragraph over and over and over again. That's our hope as pastors for this church, for this family, and frankly, for myself and for ourselves. Yeah. Um, so the question for today is, 
we're, we're kind of doing two things at once. We're, we're also doing kind of a vision series about what matters to us as a church, who we are and where we're going. And we're launching that at the same time as we're launching this series in the book of Colossians. And so I wanna put up on the screen uh, kind of our vision statement or our mission statement rather. And we've, we've thrown this around, you've heard us say this a bunch. It's be who we are, where we are, empowered by the spirit. Be who we are, where we are, empowered by the spirit. And for the next three weeks, we're gonna analyze each one of these clauses through the lens of Colossians one and two. And so we're actually, what we're gonna do is we're gonna start kind of with this first week uh, with just the phrase, uh, be who we are, be who we are. And I guess the question is, uh, what do we mean by that? What do we mean when we say, be who we are? Well, it's an identity statement. It's understanding who we are, not just individually, because that's true, we each have individual identities, but remember the people of Yahweh series, as the people of Yahweh, there's kind of a collective identity. So that's why we're using that inclusive language be who we are. And uh, this identity piece is interesting because if you start to read and start to look for identity in the Bible, you're going to find it everywhere. So I'm just going to look, I'm going to read at Colossians 1, 1 and 2, and we'll see how much identity we can find in just these two verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Boom, identity. Paul, this is who I am. And by the way, this is this is very formulaic for how first century letters were written. This is exactly how they would get it done. Um, I want to show you guys a slide of just kind of the formula, because we, we have a formula of how we write letters, right? You say, dear so-and-so, comma, body of the message, and at the end, sincerely, comma, your name. In the first century, this is kind of how they would do it. They would have the senders at the top, who it's from, which makes a lot of sense. We know who it's from because we have an email inbox and it says who it's from. So that's kind of our version of that. And then recipients, this is who it's to. And then kind of some sort of formulaic greeting and then a thanksgiving or a blessing. And that's exactly how we see Paul write his letters. And you'll see this truth and this reality throughout the Bible and well, actually throughout the New Testament and all the epistles, you'll see this very similar formula. But let's look at the identity statements. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, identity. Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. That is who Paul is. Next, and Timothy, our brother. Timothy is a brother. It's identity. It's identity. And then he says, to the saints and faithful brothers, or some of your translations will say to the holy ones and faithful brothers. Saints is, it just means, uh, it just means the people of Yahweh that are holy. It's you're set apart. You're righteous. You're the righteous ones. And faithful brothers. You're dedicated. You're loyal. You're, you're full of faith and belief. Brothers in Christ at Colossae. So we've got Paul. We've got brother. We've got uh, brother. And it says saints and faithful brothers. Uh, the, the Greek there is Adelphoi. And it's, it, it means sibling. So it really it can be translated brothers and sisters. Um, and it's saints and faithful, more identity statements about who we are. And then there's a final one in the final sentence says grace to you and peace from God, our father. And the final identity statement there is this idea. If you see it, that we're all God's kids. If we're all looking at God as our father, then that means that we're his kids. Does that make sense? And so we see all these identity statements. We see apostle, we see brother, we see faithful, we see saints. And then finally we see we're God's kids. And part of the reason why identity is so important is the reality is that as humans, we live out of our identity. We live out our why. So why you wake up in the morning, why you do what you do 
is firmly based on a core belief of who you are, of your identity. And the world, the world is, is tapping into this a little bit. There's a guy, his name's uh, Simon Sinek, and he talks about uh, how for corporations, the corporations that do really good business, they start with the question why. Imagine, imagine three concentric circles. Why in the middle, how in the next circle, and then finally what. And a lot of companies, what they'll do is they'll start with the what as they're describing themselves, as they're trying to sell you something. Let's take a computer company, for example. Let's take um, Apple. Oh, yeah, this is what Simon does. So let's start with Apple, okay? So if Apple's marketing was what we do, we make computers. How do we do it? Well, what we do is we try to make them, you know, sleek, easy to use, simple to understand, and effective for everyday use. Do you, do you want to buy a computer? Okay. Now, the reality is that's not actually how Apple does its marketing at all. Because, and a lot of companies do this, they start with the, the, what's really firm. What do you do and how do you do it? But as you move towards the center of the circle, you move towards why, things get murkier and murkier. And I would say the same is true for you and me. We say, you can start with the what, like what? I got out of bed this morning. How did you do it? Well, I, 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 well, I kind of rolled because there was a crying baby and I wasn't quite conscious yet as I was getting out of bed. How did you do it? Why did you do it? You know, that's, and then you get to the, the thing that's the murkiest. Why did you do it? The companies globally that start their marketing with the question why are the most successful companies. So Apple, the way they do their marketing is they start with the why. We believe in challenging the status quo. We believe that simple, easy to use technology can transform the lives of everyday individuals. How do we do that? Well, what we do is we design products that are simple to use, well-designed, and sleek. What? We make computers. Oh, and earphones. Oh, and phones. Do you wanna buy any of that from us? And America goes, yeah, we'll stand in line. <laughs> you know, like this is, this is it, this, this is the marketing. And so as we look at ourselves and we start with the question why, we find that our why starts in our identity. It starts in who we are. In that TED Talk, Simon Sinek says, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. People don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And so, so often the world around me, people, I, I interact with people who don't love Jesus a lot and I hear a lot of questions about what I do as a Jesus follower. About, okay, you must go to church, you read your Bible, all the different kind of stuff. And the more I can nudge the conversation to why, the deeper the conversation gets automatically and the more impact the relationship has. And um, for us, as we're looking at why, it's, it's, it's good for us to understand this is actually how the Bible talks to us about our own identity. Uh, turn with me to, uh, to the left in your Bible, to Ephesians chapter, four and i want to read verse one so this is just a few pages to the left in your bibles ephesians chapter four verse one and as we're going to look through this lens of identity you're going to start seeing it everywhere in the bible paul says i therefore a prisoner for the lord so he's saying what i'm about to say to you it's it's through my lens my identity of being a prisoner for jesus okay urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called or to the worthy of the calling you have received walk in a manner worthy of the calling you have received you have received a calling this is who you are you are the called ones that's your identity 
You have been called, live like it. You've been called to something, live like it. And this is how the Bible treats us. It asks us to live out of our true identity. Turn with me now back to Colossians. I want to look at Colossians 3. I'm going to start reading in verse 12. This is Colossians 3.12. Put on then, comma, as God's chosen ones, comma, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. See, what... What Paul is doing is he's appealing to us out of our identity as God's holy ones. He's saying, this is who you are. And because of who you are, therefore, act like this. Do this. And these identity things, by the way, just because we have an identity doesn't mean that we're fully living out that identity perfectly. There was a day, actually I was just talking about, I was just up in the room reflecting. So I'm at the Stanley's today. And uh, I, I lived with the Stanleys before I got married. And I was up in the bedroom just now so that the audio was working during prayer time. And I was up in the bedroom and the, I, like my last memory in that bedroom was falling asleep in the bunk bed that's no longer there the night before I got married. It was the last time I slept in that room. That night, I was not a husband. It was not a part of my identity at all. The next day, I became a husband. Now, when I became a husband, I took on that mantle. I think you can just ask Jillian, I was not the perfect husband. <laughs> I think it's very easy to see that. Even though I had the identity of husband, I was far from the perfect ideal of what husband means and what husband is. And I've been like creeping slowly, I hope, towards that. <laughs> I'm trying. Is Jill even here? I can't see her face right now. So I don't know if she's here. But anyways, just believe me. It's progress is happening. Everyone's muted, so you're safe. Oh, it's great. <laughs> Try. Um, okay. Anyways, so all that to say, uh, we have identities and then we learn to live out of our identities and make progress in who we already are. Does that make sense? And this is how the Bible talks to us. And this is, this is true in parenting. This is true with our kids. Our kids become the truths we speak over them. Have you, do you guys have identities that you remember speaking over, spoken over you when you were a kid that you've just clung onto? You're lazy. You're selfish. You're so ugly. Why are you so stupid? Just all these negative things that we latch onto. And when we parent our kids, we have the opportunity to flip the narrative. And I tried, I don't do this, because again, just as much as I'm not a perfect husband, I'm much worse of a perfect father. <laughs> I think that has exposed many weaknesses in my life. But talking to my daughter and say, hey, I don't understand why you're complaining right now. You're such, a, you're such a grateful girl. Why are you complaining right now? Instead of looking at her and saying, you're just a complainer and speaking false identity over her, what I get to do is speak true identity over her and ask her about the deviation between her true identity, who she really is, and how she's behaving. And what we're trying to do is close the gap. Does that make sense? Can I get some head nods? People tracking? Okay. So um, as, we're, as we're diving into this, what I want to do is I want to look back at the verses we're looking at. And I, I want to see kind of the tail end. The first one is Paul, an apostle of Christ, used by the will of God. It's a really, really specific identity. And I want to talk about that in a sec. But I actually want to kick down to the second half of verse 2, where it says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. At the end of the day, your base identity and my base identity is that we are children of God. That's the core of who we are. We can take that with us 
anywhere, everywhere we go, that you are beloved, that you belong to Jesus, that he loves you, that God is your father. You can take that identity and hold on to that truth. And guess what? You can get chewed out at work and you're still a child of God. You can, you can go through utter tragedy and horror and you know, I am a child of God. God loves me. I am the beloved. And that identity is so important. And it's interesting. There's a guy um, called Natan Sharansky and he's written a bunch of books uh, on identity and persecution. And he was a Jew born in the USSR, I think in Ukraine or something. And he was sent to the Gulag uh, for nine years during his time in the Soviet Union. And it, he talks about in the Gulag, the people who, who didn't break, the people who never lost themselves were the uneducated evangelical Christian farmers. They're the ones who knew it, who knew who they were, who knew their identity and lived out of it, even in the Gulag. I mean, come on, the Gulag. It's insane. And, and studies on torture show, it's a weird thing to study, but they do it. Studies on torture show the people that know their identity withstand it. The people that know who they are at their core, they, they withstand it. And that's, and that's what's true for you and for me, is what's deep down within us, who we are, impacts us every single day. So when we look at Colossians and we say, be who we are, what we're asking all of us to do is to take a hard look and say, who am I? Am I living like a child of the King? Am I living in such a way? Am I living worthy of the calling I've received? As God's holy ones, therefore, go do this and this and this and this. It's the core of who we are. Our why begins with our who. And we are the people of Yahweh. That's who we are. And so I want to go back to the text again. I want to push it a step further because this is a really general identity. We are all children of the king. But the reality is there is a further identity, a deeper, I don't know if it's deeper, probably the same level, but what I want to say more is it's a specific and unique identity that each one of us have. We all know that we're all different. We all act and behave and speak and think differently, but we each have a unique identity. And Paul is so tapped into his unique identity. Look what he says, an apostle of the Messiah, Jesus, by the will of God. God has crafted and formed a unique, specific identity in you that he needs you to use, that he's asked you to use, that he's calling you out to be and to live into. Not everyone in the first century is an apostle, right? It's, it's, uh, it's it, back in Ephesians chapter four, I think it's verse 10 or 11. It says to the church, God has given apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists to equip the saints for works of ministry. I'm not an evangelist. It drives me, I don't, have you guys met evangelists? I've got a friend named Jose who's an evangelist and he drives me nuts. He will get up in front of a crowd. There's like hundreds or thousands of people there. He'll share a couple of life stories, do a little song and dance. And at the end he's like, so who wants to know Jesus? And people are like, I want to know Jesus. And I'm like, how do you do it? How do you, how do suddenly swarms of people mob the stage after that? I, I don't understand. It's because I'm not an evangelist. I don't have the gift of evangelism. I'm not Jose Zayas, right? And so because of that, each one of us, 
rather than looking to others and what they're doing and being jealous of their gifts, what we get to do is we get to look to our Father and say, who am I? Who have you created me to be? What am I supposed to be doing? I talked about this a few weeks ago in Ephesians 2.10 where it says, you are his handiwork, you are his poema, his master craftsman's work created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You have a unique identity, a unique purpose that God has crafted inside you that you need to live out of and go do. Now, the problem is, the reality is, is that we're being pulled in so many different directions and the world is telling us that Actually, we don't get our identity from God. Rather, we find identity in ourselves. The truest thing about me is what I believe about myself. That's the truest thing about me. And so suddenly, whatever I believe about myself is, 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 is my reality. And what, what a backwards way of looking at the world rather than looking at the creator of who you are and saying, what am I made for? Who am I? For what have you purposed me? Then suddenly we find life and purpose. How, how amazing and impactful would it be to have an entire church of people secure in their identity, living out their identity wherever they are? Man, that's powerful stuff. That is so powerful. And there's so much, I mean, the world talks about confidence and how confidence is great. Confidence is just a byproduct of people who are secure in who they are. I am a child of God. We're going to do an exercise later to dive into this more, but um, man, I just, I, I spent a lot of time praying this week, thinking about my identity, um, what's, what's a specific identity for me, and it has been so life-giving, and yeah, I'll, I'll talk about that a, a little more in just a minute. Great. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Daniel. Yeah, so, so what are we talking about? I think that... Um, the greatest scheme of our enemy is that he loves to take what is secondary and push it into the middle and make it primary so that he can take what is primary and shove it out of its primary place. And we, I could talk with you, but I won't for a long time about how this is the reality in so many places in our lives where what is secondary becomes primary, what is primary becomes secondary. Even just a quick example, I think we can do this in the world that we live in today the most important things that you are experiencing are the closest things to you. Who you are and where you are and the people that you're with every day. This, this is what you need to pay attention to the most and what you need to be responding to the most. How am I right now as a roommate, as a spouse, as a parent? This is the primary responsibility that I have. Mm. But if we listen a lot to the news and we listen a lot to what's going on outside of where we actually are, we can really be keyed into that and we can start living out of those realities over and against the reality that I live in. So though my home may be well, though uh, my home may be healthy uh, and a place of sanctuary, and I want to perpetuate that among my family members, if I listen too much to these secondary realities, which are primary for others, but for me they're secondary, and I adopt those, I can begin to behave out of what's going on around me in fear and in panic, right. and as if that's exactly where I am, but it's not where I am. My primary location is in a sanctuary of my home with my own family in my own neighborhood, and it's actually, for me, where I live. It's a safe and it's a good place right now. A little hard to breathe, but that goes away soon. So I, I want to live in the primary place of where I live. 
Now take that same idea and think of identity. We again are so often called to live out of identities that are important and true but secondary to who we are. Even as Daniel uses the words son of the king, that phrase almost feels a little foreign to me, especially because of the word king. It's a word I don't identify with unless I really understand the scriptures well. And I know that the center of Jesus' teaching is kingdom of God, and every kingdom has a king. And then those words become very real to me. I believe that as we go through this, um, this study together, that the one word that's really going to change, at least for me, hopefully for you, is the word saint. I think we're uncomfortable with the word saint. I think we don't know what it means, and we don't understand how completely we are saints. And so when we say to you, hey, saint, the first thing we want to do is say, yeah, I'm not a saint. I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Mm -hmm. That's not our identity. We are not beggars. We came to Jesus as beggars, absolutely, but we are no longer beggars. We are provided by, by God with manna every day. Give us this day our daily bread. I think that the term saint is going to become very precious to us, and it's going to have new meaning and new power as we study this passage. That is the first and foremost identity that we have. Secondarily, to recap what Daniel said, within that shared identity that we all have of saint, there are some very beautiful and specific strengths that we've been given by the Holy Spirit, gifts of the Spirit, if you will. Some of them come out of talent, some of them come out of personality, but most of all, they're animated by the Holy Spirit. And as we are discovering together our shared identity as saints, we also want to discover together the specifics identities that we have as men and women who are children of God, because those are the places that we can then live out our how and our what based on who I am as a saint and who I am even more specifically within that realm. I can share for myself really quickly, and Daniel will do this for himself, that, that I've begun to realize and really lay hold of the fact that I have been gifted and called to be a host, to be a concierge for the kingdom of God. It's what I love to do. And even prophetically, I was given this word by a friend about three years ago when, um, it doesn't matter the context, but she was just expressing who she understood me to be. And she said, Rick, I see you as a man who sits by a very deep well because you love to drink from that well, but you sit there because you want to invite other people to come to the well. And as they come to it, you want to invite them to go deep into that well. And as she said those words, my spirit was, yes, that's who I want to be. Yeah, that's who I am. That's my identity. I'm a host who sits by a well and says to other people, hey, this water is amazing. Come drink. And when I keep that in my mind, no matter where I am and what I'm doing, I can live as a saint, a child of the king, who is also a host to invite people to come and take a drink of the living water. Yeah, that's so good. Thank you for sharing, Rick. Yeah. That's, I'm, and I think that's, that's our hope for each of us, is that we would spend time this week in deep listening prayer, asking the question, who have you made me to be by the will of God? Just like Paul says, an apostle of the Messiah Jesus by the will of God. And let me tell you, God has an answer for you. You will ask that question and God has an answer.